0: Water Towers, the podcast in search of faith and hope in rural life and ministry. I'm your host, Jonathan Mastersmith, or as folks often call me, Dr. J. Each week of the podcast, I talk with the guest about their experience in rural life and ministry as we search, search out stories, examples, and images of creative faith and hope that I believe are latent in our rural communities. Our guest today is the Reverend Karen Cleaver. Karen is the Minister of Church Relations and Development at Hinton Rural Life Center a ministry and retreat center in the southeastern jurisdiction of the United Methodist Church. Karen and I have been partners in ministry since just before the pandemic began, and we've innovated on retreats, webinars, curriculums, and lots of other cool stuff. But before we talk to Karen, we start each week off with a country music recommendation about rural life. This week, I'm taking us back to the 1950s with a Kitty Wells song. The song, Release Me, on her first LP, country hit parade in 1956 is a song that surprised me. Wells is most well known for her song, It Wasn't God Who Made Honky Tonk Angels, that questioned the male female double standard in life and honky tonk lifestyle. Most of her other songs have had a familiar, had a similar flair, calling out men for their infidelities, the way they treat women in other double standard type realities. But for this song, it has a different sensibility to do it. The lyrics, are very simple. There's only three verses, and it read the first couple verses read, Please release me, let me go. I don't love you anymore. To live together is a sin. Release me, and let me love again. This song, If Nothing Else, is one of the first times we see a woman saying to her partner, I don't love you, and I don't want to stay with you. It's, it's a divorce or a separation or something that isn't about abuse or neglect, but about a woman making a choice. She isn't in love with him and wants to go off and find the love that she knows that she deserves. I think one of the most important things is that she says to live together is a sin. That is, it's not virtuous or saintly to stay together because you're supposed to, even if no one's happy in the situation. Wells pushed the envelope and gave women a voice in music that wasn't heard before. She did the work of helping women claim their values as human beings with their own choices and not simply be an appendage to a man, a child, or a parent. It goes against many traditional images of the long suffering wife and mother who did what she was told and stayed out, stayed with her partner out of obligation, and, and encourages instead taking charge of your own life, even if it means turning your life upside down to this. Now, Karen. One of the ways we get to know our guests is to ask what their thoughts are on the song. So tell us about how you experienced this song.
1: Well, um, I listened to it and then listening then to some of your comments about your reflections. I think um, I'm going to push back on you a little bit. Okay. Because when I hear her say, please release me, let me go. I'm hearing a plea. I'm not hearing these boots are made for walking. And so I think of the relationship as being one that she's found herself in. Maybe she was in love with this person initially, but now she's not. Hmm. They're they're not married. Um, But I do think it reinforces the point you made about she highlights these double standards. Because I think um, really until more... Recently, in the latter decades, when there were more people living together, I think in her day, the person who would take the brunt of your living in sin is going to be the female. Mm. Um, she might be characterized as, you know, she's not marriage worthy. She's mm. been living with someone. Um, but But typically, I think guys... Guys are still going to be attractive. Guys are still going to be sought after mm-hmm. by women because they're valued for different things. So I feel like she is she is trying to use some reasoning, uh, but but she's asking. You know, mm-hmm. she's not saying, "I'm sorry, I don't love you anymore. I'm going to leave you." It's like she's trying to be diplomatic about it. Um, oh. I I don't know. I don't know that it'll work or not. We don't know oh. if she feels caught in the relationship and maybe what if he doesn't want her to go
0: ah what if he still loves her
1: what if he still loves her but I think she's trying to convince him I don't love you so this isn't a good relationship to continue so anyway I I think it's a little more nuanced but I didn't again I think she pointed to the double standard Mm -hmm. but um but I I think she was either trying to rationalize why they shouldn't stay together but she wasn't coming across to me as boldly as, as you are suggesting. Oh, okay.
0: So you're, you're saying is maybe she's giving this song and that makes it, she's walking so that Nancy Sinatra can walk all over someone.
1: Exactly. Okay. Yes.
0: (laughs) And that's what Kitty Wells will be attributed to. She is the woman who walks so that, you know, Nancy, Dolly, Loretta can run in terms of the language they use in their music.
1: Absolutely. And, and she introduces this topic.
0: Yes, which exactly. is not a topic that women were singing about. Exactly. Yes, about about falling in and out of love and what it means. Oh, yes. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing about your thoughts on this song, Karen. Uh, as always, I'll include this song in our Rusty Water Towers playlist on Spotify. And if you'd like to recommend a song for, for a review, message us on social media or email us. So now Karen, I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you, but I, the people who are listening may not. So if you would tell us, tell us about your life and experience in rural life and rural ministry.
1: Sure. So, um, so I grew up in, uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my formative years, uh, really from like eighth grade through 12th grade, uh, I lived in Southeast Guilford County, which mm-hmm. is about 20, 25 minutes Southeast of Greensboro. My, um, parents had bought some property from my grandparents. My grandparents had a farm there. It's where, where my dad grew up. Um, so I just have great rural memories and connection with uh, going to visit my grandparents before we had moved there, uh, spending a lot of time of my childhood there. Uh, my grandfather had black Angus cattle. Oh. They had, um, they farmed. I think his job was with, um, was with the lumber company in mm. the area. My grandmother, uh, cooked pies and persimmon pudding, and, uh, I just, I just loved being there, being able to go up into the hayloft and just make, you know, undo bales of hay and jump into them. (laughs) Um, my grandfather would buy, uh, at one point he had some little mules, he also bought a couple of horses. I think he liked things to take care of, like, on Mm -hmm. the farm, but my sister and I always really enjoyed going there and playing, but, um... Yeah, I think it was just always had great memories and a sense and understanding of rural life because mm-hmm. both my grandparents had grown up with farming families. Mm-hmm. Um, and then moving there in the eighth grade and starting to go to their, to my dad's home church, Tabernacle, United mm-hmm. Methodist, um, that I look back now and that was my rural church experience. Yeah. I mean, I didn't define it like that at the uh-huh. time, but as... I'm in these conversations now with people like you uh, Mm -hmm. and working at Hinton Rural Life Center. We're talking about rural community and the role of rural churches in the lives of those folks. Mm.
0: Lovely. So you mentioned something about persimmon pudding. (laughs) And uh, so, uh, so far on this podcast, I've gotten stories about food because that's a lot of rural life. But -hmm. can you describe persimmon pudding for the people who are listening? Because it's not Jell-O instant pudding. It,
1: it is not. It's real hard to describe the consistency of it. I would say the consistency is almost like a really moist fudgy brownie. Ah,
0: yes, yes. <laughs>
1: and it's um and if you think of like a brownie's made like in a square baking dish, mm-hmm. um, that's kind of the shape. That's how I always my grandmother mm-hmm. made persimmon pudding. She had a persimmon tree. Uh, And it's a fruit, and you would want to get it when it was right. Uh, A lot of times it would fall on the ground, and she'd have straw underneath it so it wouldn't get bruised or And you'd have
0: to fight the deer for them is what what I've run into.
1: I don't remember deer where they left, but uh, there were definitely, you know, bees and and other. Yeah, Yeah. and so she would make um, a persimmon pudding, and, you know, it had, like, flour and stuff like that in it. Um, And it's kind of hard to describe the taste, but I would say the seasonings are like cinnamon and nutmeg. So it's a very
0: fall uh, something you would season, pumpkin or apple or anything like that.
1: Yes. And then you would bake it and kind of like those moist brownies, mm -hmm. the outside would tend to get a little crustier Yeah, and then the inside would be very moist. Mm -hmm. And uh, she used to always um, tease my dad because my dad's favorite piece was the piece in the center. The gooey, almost Yeah, A lot of times, you know, (laughs) when she's getting ready to serve it and there's a square cut out of the center also really good served with whipped cream
0: oh well every ice is.
1: cream but um but yeah but she uh she used to be known for a persimmon pudding mm-hmm. and when we would when our church would have their annual fall um brunswick stew and oh. bake sale she would yes. get orders for persimmon pudding so basically they were already sold before she would even get that is that is sale.
0: the ideal church bake sale you just um, bake to order yeah,
1: that exactly <laughs> so
0: you don't have to worry about having to take stuff home yeah, Yeah. so thank you for sharing about that. I, I grew up with persimmons and uh, didn't really have persimmon pudding until I was in my mid-twenties, though, because that just wasn't where I lived, a thing that sure. people brought to church. Uh, so it's, it's a really neat thing. I've, I can find a recipe that is uh, true to form. I'll put it in the show notes for this show. You
1: know show. what? Or I'll share my grandmother's recipe. Oh, if
0: you'll share your grandmother's Absolutely. recipe, we will put that in the show notes. Yeah.
1: So, interesting note. Yeah. Uh, my grandmother, for years, wrote a column for the Greensboro News called The Country Homemaker. Oh. And it was a it was a newspaper column and she would just share things about what she was doing in her life. Sometimes it was about faith, sometimes it was recipes, sometimes it was family life.
0: I know, uh, do you have those?
1: I can't, I, I, somewhere along the way, I've misplaced them. Okay. I know I had them at one time, but uh-huh. I haven't been able to find them, but.
0: Well, there's a chance that the Greensboro. Uh, in, in the
1: archives. In the
0: archives, they yeah. may have it, or maybe you had digitized them at this point. Right. Thank you for sharing a little bit about yourself, Karen. And we're going to take a short break. And then we're going to ask Karen to share some stories or experiences she had about rural life. So we'll be back after this break. Uh, I engage people. Well, you know, the point of my podcast is not to share the statistics or the numbers, but to hear the stories and experiences that give us hope in rural life. So, I'm hoping you have a one or two stories to share with us today about that.
1: Sure, um, and I think what I've had to do lately uh, in the years that I've been working at Hen Rural Life Center. And really reflected on how my rural church experience um, affected me, mm-hmm. uh, because until I can look back on it, in in the moment I didn't know what I didn't know it was. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but growing up, uh, as I mentioned, I started going to Tabernacle United Methodist Church, uh, just an old country church uh, that had been there for years. Uh, cemetery, I had you know family oh, yeah. members buried there, and. Um, And what I remember is, um, you know, we kind of had the old and the new there. Uh, We had the original church chapel and then the one room building that was called the hut.
0: Oh, I (laughs) grew up with the hut, yes. The
1: hut, that's where all the, you know, there were rooms in there at at one time where all the different Sunday school age Mm -hmm. groups met. Um, But then while I was there, um, they'd also started building a a new building um, with a couple different wings with fellowship hall, blah, blah, blah. But anyway but while i was there one of the things that that i realized is how um how intergenerational everything was Mm -hmm. um what i remember is uh i knew everybody's i knew the adults Mm -hmm. i knew the grandparents I, i mean everybody knew everybody yeah and the other thing that i appreciated about it was that um for our youth group for example we didn't have a paid staff person. Yeah. We had somebody's parents volunteered to be the quote mm-hmm. youth counselors. And so who did all the planning and programming and deciding what to do for fundraisers? We did. Yeah. You know, we would have like, um, the NYF president, and, like we oh, yeah. have our little exec committee. Just
0: that's the traditional model the youth and it, plan it with abso- the parent support.
1: Absolutely. And, um, and I will tell you that out of my church youth group, and it was, you know, uh, we had a combined junior high and high school. Three of us that I know of are United Methodist clergy. Wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So anyway, so that's, that, that tells you something, you know, these little small
0: rural churches are producing clergy. It's not, not just the big churches.
1: Exactly. And I think it was because we were doing ministry and given authority Mm -hmm. and invitation and support, um, to come up with ideas and to take leadership. I, I think probably the summer after my ninth grade year, when it came to vacation Bible school, I, I led the music part, you know, where the the grades come in and I got to pick out the songs and, and teach this, teach the songs to the kids. Mm -hmm. I was, I was given responsibility. So, um, I think, um, just looking back and being shaped by that experience. Um, and, and I think what, what I've learned in being a youth minister for 25 years, um, Mm -hmm. one of the books that was really, uh, uh, impactful for me was family-based youth ministry by Mark DeVries. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it, I would remember reading in it, you know, talking about the assets that rural churches have because what's mm-hmm. happened with larger church is this model of youth ministries, this thing on its own.
0: Yes. And separate, a whole s- separate program sometimes. a whole the building. They call it the,
1: Mickey, the one-eared Mickey Mouse. Yes. And it's really ironic that a lot of small rural churches are saying, oh, we don't have enough youth to do youth ministry. Mm-hmm well engaging the youth you have is really the most effective ministry that you can do and Mm -hmm. you can actually do it better as a smaller church rather than be a large church Mm -hmm. where your numbers mean you have a staff person or you have a different building or you have a separate programming and Mm -hmm. you never really get to experience like what i did of knowing the other adults of knowing the older adults Mm. and doing things together and so um what i would like to see and why you know, I really feel like God brought me to Hinton uh, and this realization of the impact of rural church mm-hmm. is that rural churches need to be affirmed in that they, they really are in great situations to do very effective yes. ministry yes. With, with all ages. Mm. So they need to stop thinking like we don't have something, but really yeah. look at what they do have. Cause I think they're actually in a better situation to do impactful ministry, especially with young people
0: when I think especially the smaller rural churches, they're like, we don't have enough youth. I'm like, no, you have plenty of adults that's who right. can develop and foster relationships across generations right. with part of this. And oh, you know, and if, if you want to partner with the church down the road, just you know, just figure out how to do ministry that brings young people together and gives them responsibilities, not just entertains them. Right. I think exactly. that's the that's been my experience when I grew up in the rural church and working. When you give the youth things to do that are part of the church. I ended up, you know, I ended up going mm-hmm. to... Uh, lay speaker training when I was 15 because they were like, do you want to do this? We'll support you.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. No, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's having, it's, it's really a walking alongside model. It's Mm -hmm. like um, if you're, if you have a a leadership team or a team at the church that does, um, that visits folks uh, who are physically not able to come to worship and Mm -hmm. they take on uh, Sundays that you've had communion, Like I was in a church one time and these uh, older adults had this responsibility. They would Mm -hmm. visit those folks who could not leave their homes Mm -hmm. and give them communion. Well, we created an opportunity and it may have been related to confirmation where um, some of the comprimands would go with them. So Mm -hmm. there were these two older ladies and then two of the middle school boys that went to serve communion. And one of the older adults, one of the ladies told me it was one of the most... Moving thing she had ever experienced was watching a middle school boy offering bread and juice for someone who was in their bed and couldn't mm-hmm. even get out. It it was just oh, powerful. that's beautiful. And why aren't we doing that? You know exactly. So.
0: And it, and it's also when you send young, you send different age people. Yes. it's not just the pastor or one person.
1: Yes, it's, absolutely. It's a
0: congregation gathered there at that point. Yes, and it, the, the all ages of life are part of that. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, so other rural experiences? Other rural
0: experiences? My other thing on my list is mm-hmm. to ask you about Hinton Center and all it offers.
1: Well, I think um, I can kind of answer that like two questions with, with talking about Hinton. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of stories of rural impact, what I've seen, because my most of my ministry really has been been with youth and young adults and mm-hmm. college students and then being able to be here at hinton and i don't have responsibilities for um for the summer mission outreach mm-hmm. program which really is a great opportunity for college age um, young adults to come and have leadership roles and serve as our as yes. our summer staff and then the mission teams that are primarily mm-hmm. teenagers um, what i'm seeing and hearing from these college summer staffers is uh some of them like maybe in college and, um, you know, initially they're wanting to do a psychology degree yeah, uh, or they're going and they want to do a new nutrition degree and coming out of their experience at Hinton, where we, one of the things I really love about this ministry and its approach is it's as important as it is to make people's homes safer and healthier the focus that they give on building relationship yes. and respecting and giving dignity to the homeowners and mm-hmm. the language of walking alongside. And we we all need something at some time. What can we give each other? And maybe the neighbor shares cucumbers from her garden oh, or, that, or makes biscuits yes. for the kids. Um, but the other thing is part of the, the week-long programming is there's an Appalachian Culture Night. So again, oh, it's yes. not not looking at Appalachia in terms of what it doesn't have or the Mm -hmm. needs, but it's highlighting the resiliency and the resourcefulness of the people Mm -hmm. and the art and the culture that's here. And so the impact on some of these summer staffers, also learning about um, the particular dynamics of rural poverty, Mm -hmm. is we have these college students now going back and adding into their majors um, rural studies. You know, yes. or how do I take how do I take my nutrition degree and use it particularly to address the nutritional needs of those in poverty in rural areas? Yes, and understanding and,
0: the access yes. and, and and oh, it's beautiful. It's
1: yeah, and I think one of the things that was just it's almost like so obvious, you know, and a light bulb goes on. But this one particular young person was like, I'm going to go to the food pantry. I want to see what people buy, and I want to mm. ser- I want to talk with them and learn what do you cook with. You know, it's even like going beyond even why give healthy recipes to people if they don't have what they need to cook it or to store it. And so she was trying to get, you know, get upstream and find out more about what is their eating and cooking Uh situation to know how to be more impactful, what would be the best strategies for introducing healthier diets into their lifestyle.
0: And and that's so important because we often, especially urban folk, will assume that every rural person is a farmer and knows how to cook with all the fresh vegetables and fruits Mm -hmm. that you give them, or they have no have abilities to preserve or can or anything like that. Right. And that's just not the case in a lot of situations. Mm -mm. So learning how to create a, a, a nutrition plan and a cooking plan for someone who there's uh, someone who needs that extra help and to figure right. that out is just powerful.
1: Right, and even when, um, one of the things we've learned is that even when you make fresh produce available mm-hmm. at food pantries, a lot of people don't take it because they really don't know how to cook it or how to how to keep it. Yes. Um, so there's, there's, what we're really learning in our approach is there's a huge educational effort that needs to go along with mm-hmm meeting
0: needs and it's definitely i think you can do that in such a way that's not demeaning it's like you don't absolutely. know how to cook you don't know yeah. how to cook carrots absolutely well we oh, just it's just a simple hey here's this and uh, i've actually mm-hmm. um seen it done in sort of a blue apron box situation where you yeah. give them the mm-hmm. recipe and instructional video and then here's the ingredients or you can just take it and use this for other things too but right, right. and i think that's a, a really sort of a powerful way to help teach and do that so that's i, I just love that you have all these stories of Students coming back and saying, "I want to add a rural studies or an Appalachian studies mm-hmm. or a, a, a poverty and a poverty focus to their work." Right. It's not just it, that's that. Those are the things that we need to continue to say that it's valuable, and that when you can find a rural studies or an Appalachian studies or anything like that, minor or certificate, mm-hmm. add it in there.
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: Uh, that's my hope is that you know I teach a rural ministry certification, and D. it's yes. <laughs> Yes, I teach a rural <laughs> ministry certification. And it's often the times you get a lot, even out of seminary, you get a lot of pastors who will be like, oh, Oh, this is very different. I need some help. And we're hoping that even places like Hinton can be places where pastors can come and learn a little more about rural life. I know that y'all have had uh, uh, residency ministry groups that have come here to uh, do work. And do you do the Appalachian Studies night with them or Culture Night with them? We,
1: we do. We've had, um, and I know prior to my coming here in the past, I've heard of uh, uh, United Methodist um, residents and ministry groups that come as part of, part of their residency experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, uh, membership is actually in the Kentucky conference. I served there for five years before Mm -hmm. returning to North Carolina and, uh, just happened to also continue to be serving on board of ordained ministry and on the residents and ministry team. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that we wanted our residents to experience in Kentucky was, um, going on a mission trip together and to be able to have them come. Um, now they have, a. Uh, Henderson Settlement and Redbird Mission um, oh, yes. conferences there, but it was important that they that they you know leave their backyard you know and, yeah, be, exactly. and get out and get a little distance and perspective. So what we were able to do is just basically give them um, our regular Sunday through Thursday Mission Week,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: um, part of that does include um, one evening we'll do poverty awareness activities. Mm. Uh, we've developed a poverty simulation here so most uh, poverty sims are uh, urban or suburban settings and yes. we actually had one of our summer staffers who went to graduate school and developed a uh, rural poverty simulation that's and beautiful. so that's what's helpful here mm-hmm. and for people doing ministry uh, with folks in this area it again, dynamics of rural poverty are just are just different. Mm-hmm. So um, we invite the residents to participate in that kind of activity and reflect on that. And then another night is Appalachian Culture night. Mm-hmm. We might have a storyteller or a musician or someone to talk about um, uh, Cherokee history and culture here uh, yes so uh, but what we think is really important um, in inviting you to be a part of that is that, if you're in ministry in the United Methodist Church, there's a strong likelihood that oh, part yes. of your ministry is going to be spent in a rural setting. Mm-hmm. And we really want to equip pastors to embrace those opportunities mm-hmm. and to not look at it as like, well, I guess I have to. It's you know, not a I'll stair-step just, church. It's I'll a church to... my time oh. here. I mean, that's not, you're yeah. missing out on what you can gain from that. And, and it's not really fair to the parishioners either, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, but but having the residents here working in a rural setting mm. and helping uh, to equip them with some tools to go back and be just as effective um, and fruitful as possible in a rural setting, and and to approach it in in a real positive way as well, so yes. that they that they really receive blessings in their ministry.
0: There's there's a hope, not Absolutely. a not a mm-hmm. not like you said, not abiding your time and not a rural despair, but just that the hope that we can pull up out of these, learn from these rural communities. They're there to nurture us as much as we're there to pastor and minister with them. Well, thank you so much, Karen. So to close out, since I began with a piece of media that I thought we should learn about, I always ask my guests to bring a a piece of media, whether it's a book or a movie, a song, that they want to share about and to help us see where they're finding rural hope through that media. So what have you brought for us?
1: So um, when you gave me that invitation, my mind just immediately went to uh, James Taylor's Ah, Copper Line.
0: Copper Line.
1: And that's because... What I was talking about at the beginning, uh, just this nostalgia and these great memories that I had being with my grandparents. Uh, that's when I listen to that song. Uh, and you don't think of James Taylor as being a country music person, mm. but I, I feel like that's a very uh, country-ish. Uh, that's a country song. I, I mean,
0: I feel like James Taylor can can drift yeah, into that. Ab-
1: absolutely, it's a very country song, um, and. When I listen to it, um, it just evokes this memory that I have of being with my grandfather. He had some property away from the house that he used. Uh, he would keep some cows there, and he would also lease it for um, tobacco farmers mm. to, to grow tobacco allot- allotment. And I think there's just some, some language in that song that just takes me back to that dirt road and... Mm-hmm. Um, Also, I remember my sister and I, we'd be waiting on him and we'd make, um, uh, those like toad holes or whatever. It's like where you, where you pack the dirt around your foot Mm. and you pack it really tightly and then you slide your foot out and you've got this little, it kind of looks like a dirt, um, like a dirt igloo almost, but, but just remembering that, that red clay, that red dirt. That's, that's that's central
0: North Carolina clay.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In the, in the Piedmont. So So I think, um, I, I think rural life, it can be challenging, mm-hmm. and, but I think it, there's so much that it offers in terms of the memories. And when you have memories and family and relationships, and I think you always have
0: hope. Mm. That is beautiful. Thank you so much for being with us today, Karen. And I will, I will note that we are actually live and together. Most of my interviews are across Zoom, but we're actually in the same room together because I'm here we're doing a retreat with Karen. So, um, so I want you to uh, share with us a little bit about where they can find you. How, how can people reach out to you? Do you have social media or email address you'd like to share?
1: Sure. Um, I again, I work at Hinton Rural Life Center, and my email address is Karen at. HintonCenter.org, mm-hmm. and I'm also on the Facebook.
0: Yes, yes. So I will share her uh, share her email and and the Hinton Rural Life Center website so that yes. if you're interested in coming and staying here, finding about their finding out about their other ministries. They're always doing all kinds of interesting stuff. They've even got she didn't even mention it, but they have a confirmation program designed for smaller churches to come and enjoy. And there's a curriculum to go along with it that even if you don't come, you can purchase the curriculum.
1: Yeah, in fact, uh, if you go to the Hinton's website um, and also to the Hintontheotokos.org website, Mm -hmm. there's information on the retreats and also a link to be able to... Email me if you want to preview the confirmation curriculum. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, just a reminder that we we are in a lovely setting on um, thirty-three acres of property on Lake Chatug, Hayesville, ah. North Carolina.
0: We're looking um, out over the lake right now and it well, is beautiful.
1: Yeah, it is. And uh, if you're a United you know, Methodist clergy or any clergy, mm-hmm. you get a year round ten percent discount on lodging because we want to encourage you to come and take that renewal time.
0: And I have stayed in their lodging. It's all wonderful. It's little, you can get little hermitages, private cottages. It's, it's wonderful to stay we in. We
1: have gardens and trails and uh, access to the lake.
0: Sometimes there's even eagles.
1: There Sometimes there are.
0: Yes, yes. All right, well... Again, thank you so much for being with us, Karen, and being here on Rusty Water Towers. You can listen to Rusty Water Towers wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, suggestions for guests, topics, or just want to say hi, reach out to us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or you can email us at rustywatertowers at gmail.com. Special thanks to my wife, Shannon LaMastersmith, for our theme music. I record and produce this podcast because of my hope that we can lift up hope and faith in rural life. Thanks for listening. live across the railroad tracks in the Little Lighthouse as you pass if you weren't trying to find me.
1: Many of the trees are dead, there's stumps in the ground,
0: in a great big yard, across from the fire station. Oh,